it is difficult to spot and i think for the family there's not really physical signs mm. it's not like if you're an alcoholic you can visibly see it yeah or if someone's taking drugs you can you can tell yeah. but it might be small changes in behavior you know mm. staying out late being a bit more antisocial perhaps a few money issues being a bit more irritable might not be gambling but it's healthy to check whether it is and it's just instant isn't it as you say like it, watching a game you get an advert on the tv you get an advert on social media and it's instant access you don't have to leave the sofa and and walk to a bookies you just literally tap, right tap the button twice yeah yeah i mean you can do what everything on your phone now mm. within the past five or six years you can run a business from it you can do your mm. shopping on it you can record a podcast on it yeah you can lose your life savings on betting through it if you want it is that easy and i think what we've always said is it shouldn't be welcome to the mentality podcast we're recording at the incredible wheatwood hall hotel podcast studio this is a podcast that goes way beyond stigma we talk about men's mental health and mindset we encourage the type of conversation that will open you up to another way to live life another way to see yourself and the world around you if you are ready for that you're in the right place i'm stevie ward and i'm an ex professional rugby league player and captain and now i guess i'm a bit of a podcaster a speaker actor writer entrepreneur i'm still working all that out but our mentality we help men take control of their mindset by teaching them to find purpose resilience and what i believe is the new success inner peace that sounds good if you are that guy who is waking up to the fact that they need to do something different in life and the same old habits aren't working for you might be time to step up if you want to start your journey with us you can go to mentality.co.uk forward slash coaching to join the best team you have ever seen Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Good to have you. Good to have you here, mate. Um, do you want to start by just telling us why we're in this room and why we're having this interview, mate? Like, tell us a bit about yourself and, and what's led you to, to this position. I guess uh, lots of different things. Probably, I think one of the main connections will be through um, actually gambling and the mental health and effects. Mm-hmm. Um, linked to that and gambling addiction in particular, uh, something that hit our family about seven years ago, mm. completely by surprise. Um, and I'll definitely go into that and what we've actually done about that as a family since to try and make things better for ourselves and others. But yeah, lots to it. I mean, um, I've done a lot in and around Sheffield and also in other cities and countries for young people and around entrepreneurship and. Uh, yeah, lots of stories to tell, so hopefully we can get through a few of them. Yeah, yeah, I think we will, mate. And um, I love how you're just saying then how it's um, it's a bit of a family job, bit of a family experience. We've got some of your family members with us today, sitting on the podcast, Evolve members. So I guess the the one to go for then is just to see how does your family story come into to what's going on, into the gambling sort of situation? 
So about seven years back, really, my dad had said that he was going away for what he said was a training course related to his work. And um, he was going to be gone a few days, but he'd be coming back. This was initially something that he told us he was doing. And up until that point in our lives, we'd had like a very normal family life, kind of pretty modest upbringing, everything was fine. Mm. Dad had a good job as an accountant. We had no worries at all. On one Thursday evening in 2014, his story changed from going on a training course to suddenly going to court. Now, my dad still didn't uncover the full extent of why he was going or what he was doing. But he said he was due in court, something to do with work, it's all fine. He was a bit nervous about telling us, but don't worry. The next day we were waiting and waiting for him to come home. He never got home. We actually got a call from a solicitor who said he was uh, with my dad and my dad had actually been given a jail sentence. And unfortunately, he was in the back of a van on his way to prison. So that very day, he'd been given a two-year sentence but we didn't know what for, we didn't know what he'd done, you know, mm. must be pretty serious to mm. have, uh, you know, suddenly gone behind bars like that, uh, and that we were to expect a short phone call from him when he reached prison. Mm. Well, as time evolved over the next few days, the local paper revealed that um, he'd been in court because he'd stolen quite a lot of money, um, he'd been gambling, he had a problem with gambling, Mm. Um, and we discovered as a family that he'd gotten us into a lot of debt he'd remortgaged the house pretty much used any method available to keep betting from payday loans to credit cards to anything you could think of rational and irrational he'd done uh, to keep betting and in time since he said that that addiction had probably been going on in the background for a long long time so um yeah, from one day everything being fine to all of a sudden our whole life being turned upside down by this hidden addiction that uh, we knew nothing about. Yeah, and it like literally I had no idea of, of, of what was happening. Nothing, not at all. When's the moment that you found out then? Is that is that literally after the sentencing and, and yeah. all that had happened? So after sentencing, when he was already in prison, I think the first time we found out the true extent of all of it was when we read it in the newspaper and like in third person someone yeah. was writing about this family which you know suddenly that was us i bet you can't believe it <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. not at all yeah what was the um journey then for your old man what was your journey throughout that and, and i guess how did it start and how did it roll on to i think he'd say that it started quite innocently mm. going to the slot machines having the occasional bet to probably having more bets than he should, but not really realising that yeah. it became one too many. I think in the early 2000s, like when online betting came and you could have it in your pocket all day, every day, yeah. that was the real downfall. And I think as he spent more, his finances got worse. And as his finances got worse, he bet more. And it was this like push and pull between, I've got no money, but I need more money, so I'll bet, but I've just lost more. And yeah. you then can't keep track. Mm. And... I think it descended like that. He went into like a black hole and he can't rationalise any of his thoughts. And I know a lot of the gamblers that we've heard from since have said, you've got no idea what you're doing. Like all of your rational thinking is gone because this addiction has psychologically taken you over. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, I think quick descent into chaos, many years trying to fix it until stealing was the only option. Mm. And I guess prison was his safe place. Mm-hmm. You know, a place where the gambling was gone. Mm. He didn't have to face his family head on. Yeah. And he had space to think. Yeah. And I know one of the things he said since being in prison is when he went to Gamblers Anonymous in the prison, that was the first time he ever recognised in himself that he'd had a problem with betting and that it was that act of betting which had taken over his life. So completely life-defining moment, I think, for him. Yeah. So, um, and for us as well. So, so up until that point, it, it was like a blur then in, in terms of yeah. what was going on, the reaction, the coping mechanisms. Yeah. And it took that sort of moment for Gamblers Anonymous to, to bring that out, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so what, what was your journey then? What was your, from the moment that you became aware of it and, and sort of mm. understood it, or what was your journey to understand it, I guess? Um, well, first of all, we didn't. Yeah. Um, you know, you think, what did we miss? What could we have seen? You know, surely we should have noticed all this money disappearing mm. or all his time spent on gambling, but you don't. Mm. You know, innocently, he could have been looking his fo- at his phone. Was he writing an email or was he betting? You can't tell, can you? So, mm. yeah, there were a lot of questions we asked ourselves first. Yeah. And we felt a lot of shame, a lot of guilt and... I think, unfortunately, because it became public and everybody knew about it the same time as we did, so we had to kind of heal very quickly. Um, But we were really annoyed. We were angry. We didn't know what to do. Um, I think a lot of people forget about the family when you talk about gambling addiction. Mm. They always think about, well, you know, this poor individual who's got a problem. How do we help them? Mm. Well, you know, we know that there's us there's you know me my mom my two brothers the rest of the family his employer our friends like all the knock-on effects of this one addiction is quite huge so it took a family effort i think for us to get our head around what happened first Mm. to i think a lot of time trying to understand that Mm. and gamblers anonymous did help because we met other people who had had similar stories and that kind of talking therapy and being able to relate to somebody else who's been through it is really, really helpful. Mm. Um, as I'm sure you know, you know, with lots mm. of mental health, that's really important. Yeah. And then we had to make a decision. Do we bring him back into our lives and support him and get over this? Or do we say, do you know what, it's too much, go on your own journey. But I think bravely with the help of my mum, we took the decision to bring him back home yeah. and give him a second chance when he came out of prison. Mm. And that, story was the inspiration for a campaign that me and my dad led for several years to influence the industry to change the way it behaves Mm -hmm. and look at how addictive it is Um, but also to bring about more support for people like us we were just an ordinary family who this addiction had crept up on and we had no way of knowing it was going to come what do you do in that situation so we moved on to actually work with the gambling industry in recent years to develop an app based on our own experiences called mm. Bet Protect. And it really is just a safe place. It's, you know, like you'll have a running app on your phone and it will mm. guide you through how to do your fitness in the morning. Mm. This is guiding you through how to get your betting under control. Yeah. But integrated into the gambling industry. That's what we did. The app recently got acquired last month or two months ago. 
and is set to be rolled out across the industry. So really proud of that. And I think it's only through the strength of the family and my dad being so open about what he did that men... I think that's a lesson in trauma and mental health for anybody. If you can get that courage to actually come out and just talk about it, you'd be surprised at what happens. So, yeah, yeah, we've been on like a complete roller coaster with it. But I hope that what we've done is created some change. So, well, yeah. mate, it's it's enormous. It's enormous. I think the weight of of what you've you've all taken on, you know, as a family, and you know, I was, I, I was listening to something earlier, and um, I love the, the the mental the mental skills or the mental gymnastics you can do in life, and I think that's why we exist to try and promote that and, and share it and get it out there so people can do exactly the the exercise that you guys have done you know like whenever you're angry in life and whenever you, you're feeling down or whether you're feeling anxious or fearful about something there's an option you know of either accepting it and moving on doing something different or realizing what you can do despite it you know mm-hmm. and i think you know you guys are, are an, an amazing example of that you know you've not just took an immense sort of well, trauma, like you say, to happen and just reacted from it and, and moved away from it. You've you faced it and you've turned it into something that can help people and help other lives that have, have been disrupted. When when was that feeling that, that you, you got for yourself? Was it is that a, is it a chain of events for you? Or is there a moment where you thought, no, I'm not, I'm not running away from this, I'm doing something about it? It was kind of a natural reaction um, and not planned. So never did I think that we would be, you know, taking on the big betting companies, all that, anything really. Mm. All that happened was we started talking about it and said, look, you know, there must be other people like us. Yeah, Let's see where it goes. And then I think within a few months, even before my dad got out of prison, we were already sat in front of a national campaign where politicians had picked it up and we were being asked to talk about it in lots of different places. And it seemed to work and I think the only reason it did work is because we didn't really have an agenda apart from Mm. to make a difference yeah and I think we'll never lose that in Mm. that all this is is two people who went through something and said look we realize there's a gap no one was Mm. there to help us so let's be that you know people who have been down that path before to help others and that's got us here magically and I think the strengths we've gotten from doing that as a family and what we hear from people, you know, when they get in touch and say, thank you for saying that, that's really mm. made a difference to me. Or they say, I really resonate with that, that you said, you know, can you help me? Can you give me some advice? Is a really good feeling. So, mm. yeah, that kept us going. And, and like, from your understanding then, what, what does a gambler's mind look like? You know, like, what is that to you and, and, and how does that mind work? Um, I don't know, Um, but from what I've seen and what we know, like from the research, gambling, like any other addictive thing, creates an endorphin effect Mm -hmm. in your brain. So you get this massive high, can be followed by a massive low, Mm. and it does, in effect, just, you know, mess with the wiring in your brain and puts you in a position where you can make decisions that you're either not conscious of or Mm. you're not making an informed decision or just irrational things yeah. and like um, in the moment in the moment it must be a mess mm. i mean you know if you ask my dad he he will say i don't know I, mm. it, the memory's not there yeah 
so yeah it must be chaos at the time yeah. when you're going through it um and if you think of that in terms of mental health that must be really destructive so yeah yeah and so what does what does the app look like then like what what is mm -hmm. the infrastructure of the app and, and how does it help people so it's quite calming um it's designed to be educational it's got a mix of videos other people's stories podcasts mm. Even just really simple exercises you can do to just check your own gambling and check your perception of your gambling as well. So yeah. we're not trying to tell people don't bet mm. and we're not trying to force people to get straight into therapy if they're not ready. So the idea is just to nudge people's behavior a little bit mm. towards being safe and just prompt a few extra thoughts that they may not have had before. Mm. so yeah it's all built around other people's experiences and we've had leading therapists and designers involved in it from this country and abroad so yeah. it's uh yeah it's been quite a big project to be honest <sighs> it sounds amazing it sounds like one of those projects which is so worthwhile like you say yeah you know it's from a good yeah. place what does what does the discussion look like and you know how you approach these leading betting companies like how, how was all that gone and how did that look I think we're glad that the industry stepped forward. I think mm. if we were sat here seven years ago mm. when my dad was in prison, I think the response would have been very different. Yeah. And there's a lot of people now who have come forward. I mean, we've seen you know another sports player this week talk about his experience mm. of gambling on national TV. Yeah. Yeah. We've got so much more awareness of it now mm -hmm. that there's nowhere for the companies to really hide apart from to say look, you know, we've got to do all that we can. And I mm. think, you know, if I was as a business person that I am selling a product that had an adverse effect on someone, I would want to do all that I can as well. Yeah. And I think what we've managed to do just by being authentic and relentless is showing them that the problem won't go away. Mm. So they've had to take steps to do things. So there's there's really no magic formula to how we came to work with the industry or... Yeah. Not even that we preferred it, to be honest. You know, we could have just been a charity and independently funded, and yeah. I don't think we'd have got as far as fast. But I'm glad that they did. Mm. I'm glad that they did. Yeah, and and how are they supporting it now? Then what does that look like? Um, so, like I mentioned, um, in some of the app got acquired. So we're actually winding down our company now. We've effectively sold it yeah. to a company who we're going to roll it out across the industry because I think for us, we've always had this kind of check on ourselves and I think um, it might be a good thing for your listeners to think about as well in terms of like where you want to start and end things mm. and I think we've always been quite cautious so we don't want gambling to completely consume our family you know I didn't particularly want to become known as the gambling person mm. and I didn't particularly want my dad to become known as oh that's him who had that gambling addiction mm. so I think we realized that after we'd built it the best people to take it on are the industry themselves. Yeah. So that's why we let them acquire it. And, you know, that does really good things for us. But it also means that the product is in the hands of people who can integrate it into their technology. We can't do that. Mm. So my dad sits on the board of the company now called Crucial Compliance, who have taken it from us. Yeah. Um, and for me, I'm going to take a step back and focus on all my other work. So Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and what's what is all the other work that, that you're on with um quite a varied amount of stuff but i do a lot with young people so together with my brother and um, a few um, other colleagues 
we've got a consultancy that works with charities and we work with social enterprises, community projects to help them get their brand out there. Mm. Um, and then on the flip side of that, we have our own nonprofit that works across Africa, other countries to give young people a chance to set up in business, um, you know, make a bit of money and make a better life for themselves. So I'm going to go back into that, take a break from the gambling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And how did you make the decision then to take that break? Like, did was it a family discussion? From the from the gambling Yeah, work? yeah. Um, really because it was being sold. And like I said, for me, I felt that's my role done now. Yeah. I've brought the issue to the public's attention. We've made a difference. We've got a product there now. My dad is going to obviously be on the board, so he's going to see it in the right direction. Yeah. And, you know, what more can I do? You mm. know, that I think that's a good chapter for me to say I've done my bit for that. And mm. uh, it is quite stressful as well. I wouldn't yeah. sit here and say, look, trying to campaign against an industry that makes billions of pounds every year is uh, yeah. particularly it's, easy. Yeah. And the amount of abuse and stuff we've had thrown at us for doing it is... Uh, quite a lot mm. you know i could i could give you a book full of tweets and things that we've had i'm sure you've seen it yourself in mm. occasion that people don't realize that even one tweet you can hide the notification but i bet you one day you've turned your twitter back on and seen it and thought mm. this stuff yeah. is ridiculous so I am very conscious that it's been a very busy campaign would that just be from like members of the public then that disapprove yeah of I mean, people who bet regularly and think you're taking their hobby away or yeah. staff in the betting shops who think that you've taken their jobs off them or even, you know, even nastier trolls and things like that. But mm. you learn to kind of rise above all that, I think, and become yeah. stronger. Yeah, there's a, there's a balance in life, I guess, isn't there? Which yeah. <laughs> I think in, in, in life, we're doing it on every subject at a minute. We swing into the absolutes, you know? And I don't think what you're saying is betting should be completely null and, 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 and taken no. away because that's just no. never going to happen. It's in human condition. But, yeah, there's got to be a balance and there's got to be a, a way to to measure it and to, to be safe with it 100%. That's it. So, like, this this sort of entrepreneurial spirit and, and this, like, endeavour to, to change stuff and make things better, where do you think that came from for you? My earliest memory of it probably came from when I was about 11, 12, um, I got diagnosed with Asperger's, a form of autism. Yeah. And at that very point, I remember the difficulty in school before it, and also for some time after it, due to lack of understanding, people's attitudes. Mm. But also, I think, a realisation that everything's not equal for everyone in the world. And if, for instance, I'm in a position where I've got some experience or I've got a vision or an insight that perhaps you don't have, mm. what's the reason I can't pass that on to you? Yeah. You know, believe that we can all do better together rather than fighting against each other. I've not yet met a politician who agrees with that, mm. but let's That's see whether issue. we can uh, change that over time. Yeah. But um, I've seen the effect where if you take a second to stop and say, look, what can I do from where I am to make either life better for somebody else um, or create an opportunity where there wasn't one before, it always pays you back. Mm. And I think it's quite a good philosophy to have on life that you look at what good you can do and what value you can create. And then as a business person, that's you know how we get clients and how we make a difference. But also it means I've got a skill set where I can, you know, if I want to go and 
support people with disability. I've got some experience and I can mm. try and help with that or, you know, whether it's gambling, how can we transform that bad experience into something better for others? And I think if we all did a bit of that, we might not have as many problems in the world, but that's just a bigger vision. Yeah, it's a good vision to have as well. It's a great vision to have. And like, what are the what are the challenges that you found along the way with mm. that? You know, because people can get lost along the way. People can get swayed and, and, and persuaded and distracted, I guess, away from yeah. what they want to do. Like, what's the challenges that you've had since that? You know, that realization and diagnosis, I guess, of, of Asperger's. Well, autism in itself, I think, brings its own unique challenges. You know, if you've got any disability or any kind of condition. I think the first thing you have to battle is the stigma. Mm. So you've immediately been given this label. And how do you get past that to start mm. with um, and get people to see beyond it? But then secondly, having the self-confidence, I think, and like determination to keep going. Yeah. Because I think it's fair to say, if you've got any striking point of difference between you and the next person, you'll self-doubt yourself a lot more mm. than I dare say normal or mainstream people do yeah and that's difficult to fight because we live in a very populist mm. society it's based on how many likes you get on instagram how mm. many friends you've got how popular you are whether you fit in as part of a group and we know from past that you know some of the most successful and impactful people in the world completely didn't fit any of those mm. characteristics at all so what's the problem with being autistic or having problems with yeah. your mental health it's something that we're all going to experience something at some point so let's just get on with it and stop having to go at each other so mm. I think I've had to learn that mindset and practice it a lot and you know sometimes be very tough in the face of people and things that um, are designed to get in the way or just simply don't understand yeah so that's a really big thing yeah it's um pretty lonely can't if you if you if you see in a world that's different to what the popular is you know mm -hmm. and you're seeing through it i can imagine that's a bit but that's challenging in itself and then you've got to yeah. have the courage to back it up and to pursue mm -hmm. it and to roll with it instead yeah. of blending in trying to blend in and fit in which like you say i think a lot of the great sort of leaders and, and people that have really made impact is the ones that sort of stick away from that sway from that sort of pull if you like yeah and and so like what do you see you going on to next what's your purpose going forward then well i think um growing that agency i've got and being able to impact people through that beyond that i'm not sure mm. i think i'm just gonna let opportunities come and speak for the people that i work for yeah. um, and represent them well and just see how it goes to be honest yeah. no pressure on myself to do a certain thing and I think that's another thing you know you get pressured from a very young to work everything out yeah so you know from about age 12 is what subject do you want to do at school mm. what do you want to do at college what do you want to study at uni what job are you going to get the reality is most people don't know <laughs> yes. and quite a young age in it end up with the amount of people who have got a degree in one thing and go on to do something mm. completely else mm. so I don't know actually what I'll do next, apart from keep doing what I am doing. Mm. And I know I'm happy with that. And that's quite comfortable for my mental health as well. Yeah. To not put Cling. that pressure on myself. Yeah, yeah. 
When I started Mentality five years ago, I was committed to creating a hub that would offer the knowledge and experiences to allow all of us to go beyond the stigma that cripples many men into a life lacking fulfillment. It would be a lie to say that I knew the impact mentality would be having on people's lives, but we are. And it blows me away when someone gets in touch to share with us how we've helped them. So today's podcast sponsor is Mentality Counseling. And I want to share with you a testimony from a guy who went from listening to this exact pod to making the important step to start counseling. Just wait until you hear what he has to say about his experience. If you are someone who this resonates with and you are ready to get the help that you deserve, head to our website right now and get in touch with John. I found it almost impossible to share my feelings and emotions with others. This was evident in our first few sessions. John was patient with me, provided support and guidance, but also gave me the necessary push when I needed it. Our sessions have changed my life. I now use my feelings and emotions to my advantage rather than letting them control my life. John has given me the tools to continue to improve outside of our session and I am so much happier now. And we've been talking, uh, Adam, for a while, obviously, about your story, about your family's sort of shift and the way they've picked things up and, and changed and yeah. your old man's here. Yeah. Can we pull him in or? <laughs> you can, Is yeah. It, only because you, I know you said he's uh, been a campaign and he's been mm-hmm. campaigning. Can we ask about your journey and, and, and how you've seen the last few years? I'll have to swing my mic right over to you. I'll just stand here. I'm not going to sing, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's after that. Well, that's, that's how you enter the room. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been there before. So, yeah, like, obviously, with, with, with Adam's experience and and you, I were, like, asking, like, the, you know, the, the questions which, obviously, acknowledging you're in the room and, like, what, what's it been for you, this, this, this whole experience, this journey? Full of surprises, I think, is the thing to say. First of all, that... I was taken back into the family full and therefore still had a life and a purpose. I think the recognition people should have is that the people I hurt the most were the people that helped me the most, which is my family. It shouldn't be like that, I don't think. That's where we came from, the you know, lack of support for families. It's an enormous gap. For me, I think it came out that I, I have forgotten more than I remember. But the evidence is there, so I can't really uh, contradict it. But, um, yeah, Adam's tenacity and and strength of purpose has dragged me along into um, places I'd never want to be, just in my normal life, never mind in uh, this uh, journey that we're on now. And, you know, the journey will continue because it's embedded in our DNA now. We started off by saying if we only help one person, then that's good enough for us. That's, uh, I think we've helped more people than that, but we don't go around measuring it. We're not into mm-hmm. that number game. Where I've ended up now through the sale of the business is that I can still influence where that product goes and in what, that it's not misused. It's not a product that's going to be there for profit. It'll be at cost. And the reason for that is we want it in the marketplace as quickly as possible to help as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. 
and that's international as well as local. So I said to all those surprises as well, that we've managed to do something, it's taken off. The industry uh, recognises us and the product and we have an amount of success through getting the respect of the industry, although it's an industry that's still, in my view, is not willing to own up bad news that goes with uh, people that are getting to an addictive stage uh, and they should be waiting in there with all their army of help rather than turning the other way. Mm. Obviously, Adam, Adam mentioned about the the progress and the journey that you went on and mentioned that the the time that, that you sort of realised and had the realisation was when you were in Gamblers Anonymous in prison. Could you, could you sort of like paint the picture for, for what that journey was like from going to court and then going through that process? So there's certain few things that um, the uh, regime had point, pinpointed and labelled me, if you like, as uh, somebody that's probably got a gambling problem. And every week they had a couple of hour session within the prison for people to attend. And it was a couple of representatives from Gamblers Anonymous that turned up quite bravely, I thought. And in being able to have an almost one-to-one with someone about that particular subject, burst open where I was at, which was still until that point in time deluded uh, and, and deceptive of myself as well as mm-hmm. others. Um, that was a breakthrough, but then it became mundane as well, if it can be straightforward. You know, Gambling Anonymous has only got so much it can give, and then you've got to take your own route. And as I said, that's uh, a lot easier when you've got your family behind you. Clean my act up and realise where I'm at. So I suppose, what, seven years has passed, and I've not had a bet once since, uh, as far as I can remember. Wow. Um, and it's not hard work. I think as well though, what the big danger is if you just if you just falter once, it's easier to falter twice and then mm. three times and you're back on the roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. I always thought I had financial problems that could be solved by gambling. And now I'm of the opinion that I had gambling problems first and foremost and the financial problems were because of the gambling. Yeah. So it was a turnaround in thought. And so, like after that realization with Gamblers Anonymous, what was your own route that you went on? <laughs> Asking me to assemble my life that I've tried to forget. <laughs> out of prison, visits to uh, Gamblers Anonymous locally, feeling guilty that I didn't think I was getting much out of that, but continued with it. It was a, an arena which allowed you to think more uh, directly, but. There had to be something else for me, probably to uh, liaison and joining up with Adam on uh, what we've gone out and proven can be done. That was what came out for me. What's um, how's the relationship between you and Adam evolved then over time? It's just an old pain in the neck. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, a byproduct, isn't it? Yeah. The pressure on Adam has been greater than on myself Mm. because the expectation of him is that he can overachieve on everything he does and therefore what a a burden to give somebody. He took it in his stride. Mm. Sounds amazing. Thanks, mate. I've 
No Sorry, problem. I've pulled you in there, but why not? Why not? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, thanks very much for that. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm going to ask you actually about the um, Paul Merson documentary um, and what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Um, well done to him for doing it. It mm. can't have been easy. Um, I think it just shows, doesn't it, that gambling addiction doesn't discriminate whether you're an accountant from a Sheffield or you're a multimillionaire footballer. It's not about who you are or how much you've got. It's a really addictive and potentially dangerous thing. Mm. Um, and I'm glad that it got that level of awareness. Mm. I hope it makes a difference. I hope the industry has a look. I hope that the government has a look. I hope that families... You know, like if they listen to us, might see a bit of it in themselves and think, I need to get that checked or I need yeah. to have a look at my gambling. What do we need to and check? Yeah. What do we need to pinpoint? If there's someone listening to this now who, like your old man, sort of wasn't quite registering it mm. until, you know, until it was too late in, in, in a sense, what is that, that that can be pinpointed? Yeah, I mean, it is difficult to spot and I think... For the family, there's not really physical signs. It's mm. not like, you know, if you're an alcoholic, you can visibly see it. Yeah. Or if someone's taking drugs, you can you can tell. Yeah. But it might be small changes in behaviour, you know, mm. staying out late, being a bit more antisocial, perhaps a few money issues, being a bit more irritable. Yeah. Might not be gambling, but it's healthy to check whether it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and like... So within the app and how you've progressed, what are the regulations that you guys want putting in? Gosh, it's been a long time since we talked about that. <laughs> um, I think less advertising, particularly when it's in places that young people can see it. Mm. So the amount of, you know, gamblification of football on the shirts, around the pitch, before mm. and after the game, on social media, like I think we can tame that down a bit. It's seamless, isn't it, really, when you think about the advertising, especially yeah. on social media. It is scary, the yeah. amount there is. And it's just instant, isn't it? As you say, like, it, watching a game, you get an advert on the TV, you get an advert on social media, and it's instant access. You don't have to leave the sofa and and walk to a bookies. You just literally tap, right tap the button twice, yeah? Yeah. I mean, you can do what, everything on your phone now. Mm. Within the past five or six years, you can run a business from it you can do your mm. shopping on it you can record a podcast on it yeah you can lose your life savings on betting through it if you want it is that easy mm. and i think what we've always said is it shouldn't be so the regulatory framework is there in this country that your spend should be checked you know if you went and paid a hundred thousand pounds into the bank i guarantee you someone at the bank will say where did that money come from yeah in cases of my dad's he stole 53 grand and spent that on gambling, but nobody checked. Mm. And it's things like that where we can see markers of a problem. And as a regulated industry, I think the industry can do a lot more to look at the people who are betting and how they're betting and what they're spending. Mm. Because if the technology is there to build a therapy app, yeah. the technology is there to look at what we're spending, and we know it is, so mm. our message to the industry has always been just use it. You'd save yourself a hell of a lot of trouble yeah. and you'd save families a hell of a lot of trouble. Well, um, the technology's definitely there. I mean, I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was talking about AI and sort mm -hmm. of that being the secret sort of pandemic that, that's yeah. ongoing. 
and I think it was saying by 2045, we'll have AI that's a billion times smarter than a, than a human being. That's scary. Which is scary. So you, you rewind back to 2021, and you think that these markers and these mm. sort of red flags with what we've got at the minute, the amount of technology that we've got at the minute, I guess you guys are trying to you know, swing the momentum or push it yep. towards actual physical, real benefits and not just yeah. being pulled into the yeah. into the matrix to to lose the money and, and to to exercise a habit which is so easy so easily done mm-hmm. the advertising thing's big for me how it's directed what people see from it and the people that are readily able to see it is is that something that within the app or within this this sort of um, app that you've just sold is the education the knowledge around that for, for what to steer away from is that on it as well yeah, yeah. That, that is the heart of it. Yeah, Really just to educate the player and say, look, you know, these are the signs you could be having a problem with this or, you know, self-check tools and mm. other people's stories and to get them to understand the psychology of it as well. Mm. Because, you know, if you ask someone about becoming addicted to, I don't know, fizzy drinks or unhealthy food, yeah. people will understand how that becomes a problem but people yeah. don't understand how gambling becomes a problem mm. so there's a need there and we're just simply filling it with education yeah and we don't tell our story to scare people away from gambling mm. it's more to say yeah we're at the very extreme end of it but we don't want there to be another dad sat there having to go mm. to the lengths he did to keep it all going so yeah it's very much about prevention yeah yeah. yeah what was like the initial fallout that you guys had then um so when mm. you're old man you know when obviously you know that trauma happened what was the fallout from that for, for physically for your family what like what happened yeah like how did you manage the situation what did you go um, to manage it well was there anything to help you manage it no, no. not really apart from i think the people sat here yeah and a few people at home no. no you know we went to the usual places you'd probably ring up for help mm. but you know even today if you walk into your gp surgery and say i've got a problem with gambling they'll probably have to go and google and find out what to do mm. so we're still at that level in terms of this problem um so there's a long way to go for that but i think it was just getting that inner strength and yeah. you know realizing look you know we can get over it we need to figure it out mm. we need to get over the natural grief that we had mm. a lot of that um particularly my mom as well it came as a massive shock and i think if we hadn't have kept going and we'd stopped or let it take us over then we wouldn't be doing this yeah um at all mm-hmm. so there's something in that about being focused you know you can have the emotion you know we all have it Mm -hmm. so yeah we were really upset and we were really angry and it took a long time for us to be able to speak like we do now yeah but i think it's because the attitude we took was that we're gonna understand this and we're gonna get to the bottom of it Mm. rather than either turn our back on it and run away from it or do what arguably could have been a lot easier and just let it take over our whole lives so it sounds really sensible now looking back at it, but when we were doing it, you know, there were good days and bad days. And mm. 
there were really bad days and really, really bad days. And there's no cure for that. I, there's nothing apart from therapy and talking and having good people around and taking a breath that can help you get through that time. And people who, even if they don't understand, try to understand. Yeah. With your podcast, I'm sure you've met a lot of people who talk about mental health and other mm -hmm. problems who will say, you know, the amount of people who just don't understand and it can be really frustrating mm -hmm. and that actually sends you backwards mm -hmm. in your own recovery. Like we've all been on a recovery as a family, yeah. um, like the affected others from the trauma and how do you get back to a semi-normal life when the whole world knows your dad's a criminal, yeah. um, you've lost a hell of a lot of money that you didn't think you lost and, you know, you've got to think about everybody's fragile state um mm. it's quite a lot so yeah there's no handbook for it and i think for me being okay with the fact that there's no perfect way to deal with it is the silver lining yeah so i would also and i always do commend when there's podcasts like this that people like you set up because there's a piece of us in you as well mm. and i think when we all come together and just talk about what we've been through mm -hmm. on a just very human level, no agenda, just conversation. Mm -hmm. Someone will listen and hear the words. Yeah. So, yeah, oh, we've been able to do that. Yeah, mate, it's, honestly, it's a massive credit to, to yourself, you know, spearheading this and just literally, like, stepping into the transformation completely. And obviously your family, like, you know, you talk about resilience and you talk about, like, meeting challenges, but... Not saying it's been easy and it's been like straightforward, but you've literally you've worked through such a lot, such a lot there. Um, I know Chris is on Zoom, so I was just mugging off AI and all this sort of stuff, and now we're going to get someone asking a question from twenty miles away or something like that. Yeah. So firstly, just echo what Steve, Steve said. I think it's amazing what you've done, Adam. I wanted to ask a question about the industry and how willing it is to change. Like I think you said, you've had. Uh, like meetings with people in the industry on the gambling side and I know the Paul Mercer documentary kind of showed how they used their algorithms and data I think they even classed one customer as a win back um, referring to the fact that he'll try and win back his losses mm -hmm. and people betting 80 times a day it's built into the profit model to kind of extract as much as they can out of customers so it's very hard when, when organisations what you're trying to implement will impact their profits do you think it will come from them or do you think government has to be the hard hammer to really force it on them? Yeah, I'm sure that question will be the subject of somebody's master's degree thesis mm. in a few years' time. It's like chicken and egg question, isn't it? I think the problem with the industry is it's a multi-billion pound industry and it's like taking on tobacco or alcohol. Mm. So many people do it and have a good time with it and it's not a problem and we don't want to stop that for them. That's kind of point number one. I think with the industry itself, I'm sure if you had anyone from the industry sat here, they would say that there's a really dirty underbelly in the industry that needs to go now because it has become a problem for too many and some of the bad practice is definitely getting exposed. Mm -hmm. So I think that holding them to account is a really good thing and it's great that in this country we can in terms of government yes it does need to be stronger and have more teeth the problem we've got though is balancing that with the 
tax that the treasury gets from the industry and that's always been the age-old problem you know how do we balance a socially acceptable and responsible gambling industry with a conservative money focused growth focused outlook and i think the truth is there'll never be the right balance and we are still unfortunately going to have to accept that we're going to see stories like ours coming out again and again but it can't take too many before the government will be forced to take some more draconian measures and i'm sure speaking for both sides the industry don't want that because that really will damage their profits so i think the only choice is to get clean but my sincere hope is they don't just do that to look good you know they take things that we say seriously and that they recognize that things can be implemented in the short term it might hit their profit and they might need to invest in it but longer term at least they'll know that the customers they do keep are definitely not having a problem. So if they have that kind of sensible head on them to think like that, I hope they do. Like I said, really tricky balance. So. Yeah. Just to, okay, I guess to, uh, to, add, to ask it a different way, say tomorrow morning you're announced as Prime Minister. <laughs> um, what, what, what do you think gambling looks like in the country that you're in charge of? Because uh, mm. you said you don't want it uh, completely got rid of it. Look, I talk. I'm someone who quite enjoys a bet now and again, but you know, just like a tenner on a game, I might be going to, and it's it's never been a problem. And quite a few of my friends, um, similar. You know, we're kind of it's, it's more just like a hobby every now and again. So I yeah. don't want it cancelled, but then I don't want stories like your family story to happen. So yeah, your prime minister tomorrow morning. What does the gambling look like in, uh, in um, the country? I mean, not too different to how it looks today. Still freely available. Certainly none of it banned. I actually personally don't think setting stake limits across online gambling and other products is necessarily the right way to go. I think that's going to potentially cause more trouble. But I think a reduction in advertising in the same way we've done with smoking and alcohol is a very safe thing to do. Um, and I think evidence supports it. I think having upfront spend limits imposed on everyone until you can prove you can afford it might be the right way to go. And using technology for the better. So using those algorithms to look at someone who might be spending more and more and more. Or someone who suddenly comes and has a binge at one o'clock in the morning. I'm sure if it was my gambling company, I would be worried about that. But I think in acting perhaps a different way to some of the companies in the past. But I would make that level of responsibility at a much greater cost to the company. So just as an example, at the moment, if a company fell foul of any of those measures, they would be investigated, they'd have a chance to improve, they'd put in some remedial measures, and if they were still pretty bad, they'd get a fine. And I've always said that a fine is not the answer to the problem. They need to be threatened with having their licenses pulled because that's the only way you're going to pull the industry into line to tell them you're not going to be able to trade if you keep doing it in this way. And, you know, a couple of million pounds is nothing to a multi-billion pound gambling operator, you know. They can easily throw that away if they make a few mistakes. They've had a few binge gamblers out of it. Um, that's me being a bit more cynical. But, yeah, I would put it at a much higher cost to the company. If I make a mistake with my taxes, HMRC are not going to give me a second chance. But for whatever reason, in the gambling industry, if you let 50 grand of stolen money like my dad's go through you might just get a slap on the wrist. Um, so yeah, I would make it much tougher. And just back onto the app then, when you said it's uh, 
it's, it's with the industry now. Does that mean that they will promote it to say when you download the, a gambling app on your phone? Will this be something that they say, are you also interested in? Or is it something that if you, if there are any problem behaviours, they'll refer you to the app? Or how, how will that work? Yeah, both. Both. Oh, cool. So we've got companies speaking to us now who will integrate it into what they already do, so it will be seamless. Um, or others who might offer it as an extra. Um, to be honest, at this point in time, either is good. Mm. The more help, the better. So, yeah, um, we've got a healthy selection of companies on board in this country, and like my dad said, internationally. So, yeah, we hope that this kind of thing becomes a bit more of the norm. And these are the, the big players, I guess. Like I'm sure you might not be able to name them yet, but I mean, these are ones the household names we've heard of are involved as well. Yeah. Yes, brilliant. And um, one other question I was going to ask: uh, you mentioned uh, Asperger's, and I just you mentioned kind of stigma and misconceptions. What are the main kind of misconceptions that you think uh, the wider public and people have around it? Autistic people can't have friends. Um, autistic people don't know how to talk to people come and listen to this podcast for proof that they can. <laughs> also, I think that every autistic person's rain man. They're not all kind of able to memorize, you know, the Statue of Liberty and recreate it after looking at it for two seconds and draw it. There's differences and levels to it, and I think it affects people in different ways. Mm. Um, but also to respect that different people have different coping strategies as well. So if I need to spend six hours on a walk, listening to music to, you know, calm down after what for me was a really stressful week. Some people might see that as antisocial or, or something else, but, you know, somebody else might cope in a different way. Mm. To be honest, just recognising that everybody's different at the end of the day. But yeah, autism is certainly not kind of a one-size-fits-all thing. You know, we say that about so many different disabilities and, you know, conditions of sorts. Um, but yeah, I think that's been the main thing for me. Um, and just, you know, some, it's the same model as what we did with the gambling and, you know, just talking about it and getting people mm -hmm. to understand it and being a good ambassador for it. You know, it's not about being a famous speaker or anything like that, but it's about just creating a better life and pathways for others. So, yeah. yeah. And um, now I've announced you as Prime Minister tomorrow, I just wanted to know yeah. the things you, uh, you'd like to do in your, uh, in your four years in charge. Um, change the education system, I think, would be one. Bring more real-life stories and people. You know, I think if kids had the opportunity to sit in on a podcast like this and see someone who's been in sport, someone who's been second-hand through addiction and get that level of experience into schools rather than textbooks and exams... I didn't go to uni myself, so I'm quite biased. But I've learned more in the real world by making mistakes and having good people around who I can talk to and give me advice than I think I learned in any of my time in school. And that's not to criticise the system. I just think we've got a lot of updating to do in the system that we have got. Um, and there's a lot of people who can help. Yeah, that's the only thing that comes into my head. Oh, you've got change. my vote, mate, anyway. Great, yeah. see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Are we I doing it for real? There's a question in the chat, so I don't know if you want to uh, read it out. The app offers mindfulness lessons. What do they look like and what is your relationship to mindfulness in your own life? Yeah, so um, some of the content comes from outside specialists. So 
my honest answer to the question is I'm not a mindfulness specialist. <laughs> my yeah. relationship with it should be a lot better, I think. Um, I get kind of quite um, engrossed into my work and I'm happy with that, but I know it's not always healthy. Mm. Yeah, in the in the app, the mindfulness exercises have come from a specialist yeah. therapy organisation. So it's yeah. things like things to listen to or exercises you can do on your own. You can reflect on them in the app itself and make a diary. So these are evidence-based therapy but we're we're really like i said just two people who experienced the problem and brought together the experts to build this solution so yeah the, there's a variety of them in the app um and yeah as for my relationship with the uh, mindfulness could be better yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just gonna go back to chris's question and you were talking about the asperger's and misconceptions and, and all that sort of stuff yeah I'm using that as a pre-context, but I want to understand what your perception is of yourself, uh, how you're different. Mm. And it doesn't have to be Asperger's. It doesn't have to okay. be, you know what I mean? It's like, how do you feel like you see the world and operate in your perception, mm. I guess? Good question. <laughs> so my cynical perception of me would be very quick to see all the problems with it, mm. probably because I like do very quickly analyse stuff and... Yeah. I'm quite quick to learn, yeah. Um, so I know that about myself. Um, I can get very like hyper focused. Yeah. Usually quite quiet until you get to know me a bit more. Yeah. They're the main differences, I think. Sometimes yeah. they can display themselves a bit more, but I mean, generally, I think nowadays I do a lot less thinking before I act. So I just get on with stuff and get things done. Sometimes that can be a shock to people; they're not quite ready for that. But I'm quite happy for them to catch up. So, like, there'd be a tendency for you to, to quite analyse stuff, but, like, you've got better at just going and doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That's a good lesson, I think, for for me, anyway. I think that's something that you get better as you get older, don't you? Cool. Chris, you good uh, with that? Yeah, I've got a, a question for you, to your dad, if that's all right. Um, I guess if there are any of our listeners who perhaps are kind of in the grips of the gambling problem at the moment, uh, what would your kind of top tips or advice be? And I guess another way of asking it would be, say if you could go back and give yourself a few top tips the, the year before you were arrested and, and went to jail for it, what would they be? Are there any things that have helped you since? Yeah. Top tips. <laughs> um, that sounds like success-driven, but that's not me. Mm. Uh the comedian in me says don't get caught but, um, in itself that is the answer um, actually to be able to identify what it is that's your problem I was under the weight of delusion and deception and things like that and you've got to find what it is that you've been where these uh, characteristics come from what's the motivator I mean in, in the industry of environment they have things that say when when things get sort of tough, stop. I looked at those and thought, no, that's not for me, I have no problems. Mm. I think, though, if you ever get an inkling that you have got a problem, just go and see somebody and talk it out and see whether it's there or not. Yeah. What was, like, the worst moment for you, then, in the journey? Going into prison, and that whole experience was, you know, not mm. recommended. Mm. Not knowing where to start once I came back out of prison, even though we got a, a mission in a sense. Selfishly, I was just thinking about myself and where am I going from here? 
so that was very difficult. And in fact, if I hadn't have had uh, Adam dragging me along into areas that I never thought I would be and talking to 11 million people on breakfast TV and stuff <laughs> like that, that, that is not me. Mm. So I had to be somebody else. And you speak about identifying the motivator. Did you identify the motivator for yourself? It, it kind of exposed itself. It was, you know, semantics. Um, yeah, in prison, GA meetings opened my eyes to myself. I then took on counselling within the prison as well. It's a funny place, but prison is very levelling. Uh, mm. And the people that I mix with, you know, I know they had problems, obviously, because so I was in the same place. But many of them just seemed to need some coaching, some hugging, some mm. something just to get back on your feet and become a person in the, in, you know, in the whole wide world, just be somebody. Cool. Any, any more, Chris, that, that you can think of? No, I guess just a message to anyone who is listening and feels like maybe this podcast or conversation has kind of raised a few flags in their own life to, to check out the Bet Protect app. So, yeah, Adam, if you could uh, point people in the right direction for any of the uh, social media handles or website. Yeah, and just a message for for Adam, you know, for yourself, for, for everyone here that, like... I feel quite humbled and grateful that we're getting to share this message. And as you said, I'm to have this conversation and just air it out, you know, just give it organically out there and, and hope that people listening can. I think the, the big message is to to identify it, to identify that before before it gets too late, you know, and, and in your sense and, and your family sense, it's not too late because you're in, you're pushing the message and you're doing something really productive. But on both the side of the vehicle that the gambling world is and then in ourselves you know why it leads us to it why we, we choose to do it and why we get into that habit and why we get caught up in it i think there's a lot of reflection there to do and i think it's very worthwhile as we've, we've seen just by having this this conversation and you guys here so thanks very much thanks very much adam Let's steal that microphone again off your man and, and tell us where we can find you, mate, and, and, and where we can keep in touch with you and where the Mantelic listeners can find you. Um, yes, yeah, so um, the Bet Protect app is a good place to start for anybody who uh, needs support with gambling. Um, so just betprotect.co.uk or on Twitter at betprotectapp. Um, I should probably also do um, the signpost into the national gambling helpline if anybody needs that um also like the samaritans yeah. um are well trained in this kind of thing as well and then to find me probably the best place is the website so it's just adambradford.agency yeah. which is the company site it has a bit about me and where to find me and the work we're doing so you can find us there amazing thanks so much thanks so much mate thank you very much thank you guys